point. This is one of those texts and one of those issues that uh, if I were just going by what I like to talk about, I would simply avoid this topic altogether. But uh, the topic, of course, that we're talking about this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, is divorce and remarriage. Uh, this is definitely a critical issue in our nation. I'm sure you've heard all the statistics. Uh, I think the U.S. Census Bureau says that of marriages today that are starting today, something like 43 to 45 percent uh, will most likely end in divorce within 15 years. Uh, that 60 percent of remarriages will end in divorce. There are um, over, well over a million divorces each year in our country with over a million children uh, subject to those divorces. The uh, uh, U.S. Census Bureau says that 10% uh, of all Americans, so that's what, 30 million people, are s- today single and divorced. So, uh, you know, this is a, a huge issue facing our nation. But I have to say, when I think of the topic of divorce and remarriage, I don't think of numbers. Uh, because numbers can't quantify the pain. Numbers can't quantify uh, the, the relational and generational impact that divorce has upon people. Um, uh, When I think of divorce, I think of people I know. I think of people I love. I think of people in the church whom I have loved and walked even through that dark valley with them. Uh, And you probably do too. When you think of this topic, my guess is pretty much everybody in this room knows somebody uh, in their own lives close to them who's gone through divorce or maybe has gone through it themselves, and so you know what it's like to go through that meat grinder. Um, and some of you are going through it right now. So this is a, a very sensitive and difficult topic. And so maybe even as I'm winding up with the sermon, maybe you're thinking like, can I just slip out unnoticed right now and not hear this? And I have to be honest, there's a part of me that's like, could I just not have to preach this? But there's another part of me that says, all the more reason that we need to study God's Word. Because God, God can heal anything. God can restore anything. God can forgive. But the way that He does that, people, is through His Word. This is the conduit through which the healing and grace of God flows. Uh, Jesus said, Then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so it's by the truth of God and by the Word of God that God brings healing. Because here's the thing. If we don't go to God's Word to let Him shape our thinking about marriage and divorce and remarriage, we're going to get a word from somewhere else. Right? The culture is giving us words all the time. You know, the top relational tips from the article in Cosmo magazine is a word. And it's coming at us, telling us how we ought to relate to one another. And all I've got to say is whatever the culture is telling us, you know, it ain't working. <laughs> it ain't working. And so we need to come back to God's Word and and so I, I'm encouraged to, to see what God has to say about this topic, even though it's difficult to talk about and difficult to hear, uh, especially in our own lives, because it's just a very raw issue in so many ways. So just so you know where my heart is as we go into this whole study. Uh, now, you know, a month ago I was just bragging about how we go through every section of Luke, and then I have you turn to Matthew, right? Um, now, it's not because Luke is heretical uh, or Luke says something wrong. The problem with Luke, not problem, but the issue I'm facing with Luke is it's just one verse. And I think that because this is such a sensitive and difficult and critical issue, we ought to study the fullest uh, treatment of it that we have in the Gospels, which happens to be in Matthew. So we're sort of jumping over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. And let me just read the text, and we'll dig into it. Uh, 
So this is Jesus and the Pharisees, sort of the typical banter between them. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together Let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs, because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So here we have Jesus with his uh, perennial debaters, the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are coming at him with a series of questions. And you'll notice that this passage falls into three nice, lovely sections. Uh, We we preachers love it when there's three major sections. It yields a nice three-point sermon. Uh, And each one, you'll have a question or comment from people listening to Jesus and then a response from Jesus. And so there's three of those uh, intervals in this text. And the first one uh, deals with the topic of the sanctity of marriage. So if you look at verse 3, here's the first question. Some of the Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So here's the Pharisees. They're trying to trip Jesus up as usual. And uh, so they ask him a hot potato question. You know, what a better way to get somebody in trouble than to just publicly ask them, you know, one of the, those third rail kind of questions that you're not supposed to go at. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about divorce? What are the grounds for divorce? Why can a person do that? Now, you remember when John the Baptist brought up this topic about divorce and remarriage with Herod. You know how that ended for John the Baptist, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, this is a very difficult thing to bring up. There was a debate among the Pharisees. Uh, even with, among the Pharisees, the rabbis differed as to what, under what circumstances a man could divorce his wife. Because remember in those days, a man could divorce his wife, a wife could not divorce her husband. And this is how divorce worked, by the way, just so you have the historical background. If a man wanted to divorce his wife, he would take a certificate, a piece of paper, he would write on it, Lo, you are free to marry any man and have the proper witnesses. He'd hand it to her, and then that was it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so, you know, divorce was very... Very easy back. You thought no fault divorce was easy here. It's very easy back then. And, and so these guys are asking, well, you know, under what circumstances? And the rabbis differed under what circumstances someone could divorce. Uh, on, there was a sort of an intramural debate. There was one rabbi named Rabbi Shammai, and he was a more conservative interpretation. He said you can only divorce uh, legitimately in cases of marital infidelity. At the other end of the spectrum was another rabbi named Hillel. And Hillel said, no, 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 you can divorce for just about anything. You know, if she burns your food, he said. 
you can divorce her. And there's another rabbi who even took it further, Rabbi Akbar. He said, you know, if you find someone prettier, you know, you can divorce remarry. So apparently men have not changed too much in 2,000 years. Uh, situation has not really improved. And, you know, there's, there's disagreement among evangelicals today on this issue of divorce and remarriage. If, you know, if you say, what's the biblical position, and you go ask a born-again, evangelical, Bible-teaching, gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving, hand-raising evangelical, uh, you're actually going to perhaps get some different answers. Uh, th- there's at least three camps. There's um, some evangelicals who say divorce is always wrong. There's never any time when it's permissible. There's a second school of thought that says divorce can be permissible in some circumstances like uh, adultery, but if you do get divorced, you're never allowed to remarry during the lifetime of your ex-spouse. And then there's a third school of interpretation that says there are some circumstances in which you can divorce like adultery, and if you are allowed biblically to divorce, then you're allowed biblically to remarry. So even among you know, people that I could name names, and you'd be like, oh, I like that Bible teacher, and oh, I like that Bible teacher, but they disagree on this issue. And so there's the question, hey, uh, you know, Jesus, when can we divorce our wives? Come on, tell us. We want to know the answers. Tell us the rules. Give us the loopholes. We, we want to know how this works. And Jesus is like, you guys, you've got it all wrong. You're asking the wrong question. It's not about you know, descending into this labyrinth of casuistry and saying, you know, what are the rules and where are the loopholes? It's not like going to your, uh, your CPA and, you know, during tax time to try to find loopholes to save yourself money. This is not what this is about. He says, you guys are talking about divorce and when to divorce and when not divorce. He says, I want to talk about marriage and what marriage is. And it's because we've forgotten what marriage is all about that there's this kind of rampant uh, plague of divorce, which was a problem back then just like it is today. And so I think any time we get on the topic of divorce and remarriage, we have to first start by saying, what is marriage? Let's start with the basics. And so Jesus says, let's go back to the basics. I'm going to take you back to Genesis when God first made human beings. So look at verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? That's quoting Genesis 1.26. And he said, and here's Genesis 2.24, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I'll tell you, I I had such a struggle just moving through this text. That that verse there is a sermon series. I mean, there's so much there we could talk about the essence of marriage that needs to be said. But let me just point out two major things about marriage that Jesus is saying and show show you why marriage is so sacred in God's eyes. The first is this, and this is real simple, but it's so important. In fact, if you don't remember anything else I say this morning... Uh, remember this. Here it is. The first thing about marriage. God made marriage. That's it. God made it. And you go, well, you know, what's the big deal? No, no, that's everything. You see, this is the fundamental issue. Based on the fact that God made marriage, everything else develops from there. Jesus' whole argument hangs on the issue that God made marriage. In other words, marriage is not something people came up with. Uh, Isn't it interesting that every human culture we know of throughout all of human history has marriage between a man and a woman? Isn't that interesting? You know, if all the different cultures out there, all the different languages, all the different foods people eat, all the different ways people dress, there is marriage and it's consistent across all cultures. It's always there. There's not a culture that's like marriage. What? We don't don't know that. There's marriage. 
It, it's just an understood, natural sort of thing. It's within us. And I believe the reason is because God created it. It's, we instinctively understand what marriage is. Now, if you don't believe that God created marriage, what's your alternative? Well, it's that people created marriage, right? That marriage is perhaps um, an evolutionary step. That, that as you know, Homo sapiens evolved, they found that being monogamous and committed to one another and having creating some sort of ceremony called marriage uh, adapted them for survival in the natural selection process. You'd have to say something like that, right? I mean, where else could marriage come from? If it was not from God, then people made it up. Um, and maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you think, well, I don't know if there's a God. But, but listen, you have to decide this issue. And this is the thing I want to challenge you on. Where does marriage come from? Because it's from God, then that sends you in a whole certain direction. If there is no God, or if God did not make marriage and human beings created it, I just want to challenge you. Are you ready to ride that train to its logical conclusion? Okay? Because there's some logical conclusions there. Like, well, you know, why couldn't two men get married? Or why not two women? I mean, it's logical, right? Because it's something that people made up. Why can't people modify it? Why can't we just take a vote and change it? Uh, what if I'm bisexual? Couldn't I marry a man and a woman? You know, who are you to deny my orientation and to tell me I can't marry in accordance with it? You know, what if I want to marry my dog and have sex with my dog? And you think I'm kidding. <laughs> That's out there, people. Right? What if I'm a pedophile and I want to marry a five-year-old? Who are you to judge my orientation? Who are you to repress me with my, your religious morality? Who are you to do that? You know, are you ready to ride that train to all of its logical consequences or not? And so this is a fundamental issue. Fundamental. Where does marriage come from? And if it's from God, then we need to look to what God has to say to answer the question, what is marriage all about? How does it work? And, and what are its implications? And so we come to, to see what God has to say. And, and so what is marriage? It's marriage. It is a commitment between a man and a woman. And I... I you know, I just have to make that point because we are in Massachusetts. It's true. It's between male and female. Uh, Same-sex marriage is an oxymoron. It just is like saying, you know, a round square or something. Um, so look here at, in verse four, 5. What is marriage? He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what is marriage? It's a, it's a profound, radical commitment and unity between two, two individuals. It's when two individuals come together and they're like fused together. They, they've become one flesh. It's a man leaves his father and mother. You know, I was thinking about that. Think about the connection between a parent and child. Some of you ladies have had children. You've carried a child in your womb. You've, you've felt that connection between the child. You, you've, you know, changed that baby's diapers. You watched them grow up. I mean, what stronger bond is there than between a mother and her children? And yet, marriage is so profoundly unifying that it even takes precedence over the child-parent relationship. Isn't that amazing? That's how incredibly bonding marriage is. He says, you leave your father and mother, and you're united to your wife, and then the two become one flesh. That, of course, is talking uh, at a literal level about the sexual relationship. But I think at, at a broader level, it's talking about just the unity that, that comes in marriage, the psychological, emotional, financial, relational unity that happens when uh, people are married, uh, of which sexuality is it's, it's a, an enactment. You know, what is sex? Sex is the, the living 
uh, breathing picture of the unity of marriage. And that's why, that's why sex is only for marriage. That's why sex outside of marriage is always wrong in any circumstances. You know why? Because we're a bunch of prudes and don't want people to have fun? No. It's because it, it's a beautiful picture. It's almost a sacrament, if you want to use that kind of language, of marriage. It's what marriage is kind of demonstrated and lived out. And so sex outside of marriage, you know, that's like taking communion and distributing it at a frat party. That's what that's like. Hey, you want some wine? Hey, <laughs> just giving away something sacred in a non-sacred context. And so this is what marriage is. I mean, just stop and stop with me before we get to the whole divorce stuff, which is so hard and difficult and challenging. Let's just marvel at marriage and what marriage is. What a profoundly important commitment it is that Jesus says it's like becoming one flesh. You know, it's getting cold out there, folks. And, uh, you know, imagine one of these, these mornings when it's like a good, you know, 15 degrees, 10 degrees. And before work or school or whatever, imagine going out to a light post, a metal lamp post out there. Get your tongue good and wet. And, and try to press as much of your tongue surface area as you can against the lamppost. You know, and then just hold it there for a good minute. You know, that's, that's the bonding that takes place in marriage. You're, you're fused together. Right? Now, you can separate that. <laughs> Imagine then just going, ha! Right? That's what it feels like when you get divorced. Any of you have been through that for whatever reason the divorce happened or whatever, it it just is terrible. It's like you you feel like I'm being ripped apart inside, and I think that's because at some level we actually are, in some you know perhaps even metaphysical way, we're being torn asunder. It's like having your arm yanked out of a socket or being disemboweled. You know something. Sorry, I'm not trying to gross you out, but it's something horrible like that. The two, it's one flesh that's not being ripped apart, and it's a terrible horrible experience, whatever the circumstances. Even if, you know, there was really no choice and this just had to happen, it's still terrible to go through it. It's a painful, difficult kind of thing. And and I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. So that's what Jesus' conclusion is. He says, if this is what marriage is, if marriage is this amazing gift from God where two people who don't know each other and aren't related suddenly become one in such a profoundly wonderful way, and therefore we need to love our wives, we need to love our husbands. I mean, next to your commitment to God, if you're married, your number one priority in life is to love your spouse and to serve your spouse and to do everything you can to bless and encourage your spouse. That's your number one priority. It's more important than than your children. Your commitment to your spouse is more important than your children. You want to love your kids? Love your spouse. Because it's so high up there. Uh, it, it's, it's the most sacred of human relationships that God has given us. So that's what marriage is. And that's why Jesus says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Because there's a profound unity that defies explanation. But, but it's real, and we all know that it's real. So that's marriage. It's sacred. But of course, the Pharisees now think they have him. Verse 7. Aha! We got him. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Gotcha! Ha-ha! The Bible says you can get divorced. So, you know, answer that one, Jesus. He walked right into our trap. 
Now, what are these Pharisees talking about? Well, I, I, you just have to read the passage to see the kind of sort of scripture twisting that they were prone to. Put a bookmark here in Matthew 19. We're going to come right back to it. And turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. It's on page 194 if you're using a pew Bible. Deuteronomy 24. And, and so now we're going to move from the, the sa- sacredness of marriage to the scandal of divorce what divorce really is. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4, this is the passage that the Pharisees are citing. Okay? So let me just read it, and you just listen to it, see what you think. Chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. It says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. You see that phrase, something indecent? That was the phrase that Shammai and Hillel, the rabbis, were debating over. That's the exact, they didn't, you know, some, Shammai was saying, well, something indecent means something that was uh, explicit, uh, illicit, uh, illicit sexually. And, Shammai, and Hillel was saying, no, no, it could be anything, like burning your toast. Um, so they disagreed over what it meant to be, have something indecent. So if he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, And if after she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her, poor kid, and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her away, or if he dies, verse 4, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she's been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. So, you know, what is Deuteronomy 24 saying? Well, you know, go back to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. He's right. Jesus is right on, of course. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Moses didn't command anyone to divorce anyone. He's like, he just, he had to let you do it. Why? Because your hearts were hard. What is Deuteronomy 24? The way I read it, it's a protection for women in a patriarchal culture against capricious men divorcing them. That's what I see in Deuteronomy 24. It's to protect women from just getting chewed up by the system. Because otherwise, you know, here's this poor woman, and the guy says, get out of here, you're not my wife. And so she's like, fine, you know, and she meets some other guy. And then he's like, hey, my wife's with some other guy. Let's stone her for adultery. And she's like, you divorced me. No, I didn't. You know, you know how divorces are. They can be really, really ugly. And, And so... That certificate of divorce protects her. She can go, well, I got his signature right here on the certificate. And then it protects her from being divorced and remarried to the same guy again. So, so it's really a shielding of women in a patriarchal culture is what that's about. So Jesus turns it back on the Pharisees. He's like, the problem is your hearts were hard. And you know, our hearts are hard too. Our hearts are hard too. People, you know, today we, we get divorced for all kinds of reasons. Um, you know, things like I just don't love you anymore, and I don't feel fulfilled, and I think I met someone else who's my real soulmate, and you weren't my soulmate, and now I found my real soulmate, and, you know, I, I need more purpose in my life, or I need to grow in new directions, and, you know, these are the kinds of things people say when they get divorced. And why is that? It's because our hearts are hard. Because we've lost sight of God's original design and we're so caught up in ourselves and actualizing ourselves and f- fulfilling ourselves. You know, key word, you hear that word? Self, self, self. That's the mantra. Self is the God of our culture. 
And so, for self, I will do anything, even rupture a sacred bond that God not only created, but God enacts when people get married. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. And then we get verse 9, and I'll tell you what, this is like, this is the cold, hard steel of this text. This is a very difficult verse. I don't know any way to say it. So here it is, verse 9. He says, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. I go, wow. <laughs> That's really tough. But you see the logic? It's logical. All right, so start with the logic. God created marriage. All right, God, what is marriage? It's a profound unity where the two become one. So therefore, if some guy gives his wife a piece of paper and says, beat it, and then he marries someone else, you know, you're still one. How did that piece of paper make you not one anymore? If you're really that bound together, if it really is the tongue against the, the iron frozen pole, you know, how can a little piece of paper say, oh, it's okay, you can do whatever you want? And so in a sense then, that man in remarrying has committed adultery against his wife. And that just shows you how profoundly serious the, the marriage commitment is. I, I just find that, that breathtaking. I mean, I, I, as I read this passage, I, I was shocked by it. And I said, you know, how much of the Bible's truth about marriage have I really imbibed? And how much of the culture's sort of view, you know, have I taken in? And so I just found this passage challenging, extremely challenging uh, for that reason. Um, now you'll notice he does say in verse 9, you probably noticed it, he says, if a man divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, he commits adultery. Now there's, there's this famous clause. It's in Matthew 19. It's in Matthew chapter 5. It's commonly called the exception clause because it's, you know, the exception. And th- this is where the different evangelicals, you know, kind of start dividing up into camps. Um, I am of the school of thought, and I'm glad to debate or explain or whatever to anyone, that if a, if, if a divorce is biblically permissible, then remarriage is also biblically permissible. So I'm of that school of interpretation, which is kind of the mainstream evangelical school of interpretation. So are there some times when it's okay, I guess it's never okay, but permissible or understandable to divorce in God's eyes? And I believe there are. Um, I believe marital unfaithfulness is one of those situations. You don't have to get divorced because someone had an affair. Uh, can God heal a marriage after an affair? Yes. I've seen it with my own eyes. God can do that. God can heal anything. God can restore anyone. And that God can heal marriages. Even ones where there's been a profound breach of trust. He can bring something more beautiful on the other side of it than there was before it. He's totally able to do that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it, you know, the covenant has been broken. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 tells us that if, a, if an unbeliever is married to a believer and the unbeliever is like, look, I'm tired of living with you. I don't want to be with you. Paul says, let him go. You know, if, if that person doesn't want to be married. I also believe that abuse is uh, grounds for divorce. And I know I don't have a proof text for that, but I'd be happy if anyone wants to talk about that or debate that, explain to you how I get to that conclusion if there's physical abuse in a marriage. But, um, you know, then remarriage. I believe you can remarry, uh, according to this text, after divorce if it's biblically sanctioned. I also believe, based on uh, Deuteronomy 24, that, that if no matter why you get divorced, if your spouse remarries, based on Romans 20, uh, Deuteronomy 24, you're free to remarry as well. But, you know, you, know, you can see, we're, we're starting to get like the Pharisees now, right? Even as I talk like this, I'm cringing, 
Because I'm starting to sound like the Pharisees. Like, what are the rules? When can you do this? When can you do that? And it's like, no, we've got to get back to the basics. That God created marriage. It's a profoundly amazing unity between two people. And divorce, whenever divorce happens, you know something terrible has gone wrong. Even if it's not your fault and the person you're married to turns out to be abusive and violent and, you know, a philanderer, still something terrible has gone wrong when divorce happens. And so Jesus counsels against it. Maybe you're feeling a little beat up or overwhelmed right now. And if you are, then you're in good company. (laughs) Because look how the disciples responded in verse 10. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. Like, whoa, that's a mess. Who wants to get into that? And in a way, Jesus says, actually, you're right. He agrees with them. Not not probably for the cynical reasons that they're saying, but he agrees with them. Look what he says in verse um, 11. He says, not everyone can accept this. Not everyone can accept this word. In other words, the, the truth that sometimes it's better not to marry but only to those to whom it's been given. He says, For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and still others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. In other words, God's kingdom in the coming of Jesus overshadows everything, even the created order. Even the created order that God put in place in marriage, even that's passing away. Even marriage is kind of on its way out with the coming of the kingdom of God. And so no matter who you are, whether you're married, divorced, never married, remarried, remarried multiple times, whatever your situation is, all of us need to now reorient our lives toward the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God in Christ should be that which guides our lives and our relationships and our thinking. And Jesus says, if you're able to stay unmarried and serve the kingdom of God, that's even better than being married. Um, which is, you know, again, goes against our culture. Our culture says you can't be fulfilled unless you have somebody. Isn't that what the culture says? You've got to find somebody if you want to be a fulfilled person. And Jesus says, you know, the only person you've got to find is me. I'm the only one you need to find. And if you have me, you have it all. Whether you're married or single, you know, you need me, Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Christ says. I am the, the gate to eternal life. And if you have Jesus, you have the Father, you have the Holy Spirit, you have eternal life. And so if you have Christ, you have everything, no matter what your marital status is. And, you know, maybe I could just put a challenge out there to those of you who are single. And it would be, you know, don't be so desperate to find somebody. Don't be so desperate. I know that's easy for you to say, Jeremy, you're married. But I I was single once, too. I was in college, and, um, I, you know, when I first went to Wheaton College as a freshman, there's all these great Christian girls there, and I became a serial dater. I just um, I dated everybody who I could date. It was great. I was dating all these people. It was kind of like, who, who's going to be my spouse trying to figure it out? And I kind of just got overwhelmed with this whole, you know, trying to find the right person and, you know, and this stuff. And finally, one day, I just was like, you know, Lord, I'm just getting obsessed with this. And so I said, all right, God, I'm ready to be single for my life and serve you. If that's what you want. I said, if you want me to have someone, I said, hit me in the head with a two-by-four. But otherwise, I'm just, I can't live my life trying to define myself about getting married. And so I just kind of committed myself to being, you know, celibate and single. And, and then about a week later, I got hit in the head with a cute little five foot three two by four. Um, and she's been hitting me in the head ever since. <laughs> um, 
Now, that's not a formula for finding a spouse, right? It doesn't like, if you make that pledge, then a week later you get some But, you know, I know what it's like. You know, I've been to that moment myself, and it is difficult. And, um, you know, or maybe this. Just, like, take a break from dating for, like, six months. Some of us, I'll just take a break. Just take a break for a little bit. And just chill out and hang out with Jesus and get your identity grounded in Jesus before you try to go find yourself in some other guy who's not going to be what you need because no human being can be what you need. Um, oh, this is heavy stuff, isn't it? This is really... But it's good to hear the truth. And, you know, the thing I sort of come away from this is, is, is I realize just how broken we all are. You know, take the best marriage in this room and hold it up against the blueprint of God's plan for marriage. And boy, there's no marriage here that measures up. We all fall short, even in the best of marriages. Uh, you know, some of us have been through divorce, and so we're looking at this text saying, man, I've really broken God's plan. Maybe some of you are like, hey, Jeremy, I'm strike three. I'm out. <laughs> My marriage was bad. <laughs> And I got divorced for the wrong reasons, and now I'm remarried. And that's not, you know, the way the Bible taught I should have done it. And so, what do I do now? I haven't done anything right. In fact, I'm I'm on my third spouse now. You know, <laughs> well, you know, I might as well just quit because, you know, what can I do? I, I've just broken all the rules. Here's if this is the blueprint, I don't match anything. Um, the good news is that there is somebody who faithfully kept the blueprint of God for life. There is somebody who obeyed God's law down to the last jot and tittle. Where we have been promiscuous, He was chaste. Where we have been unfaithful to God's plans, He was 100% faithful. Where we have been broken and gone off track and hurt others, He was pure love. He always did the will of the Father. And not only did He perfectly keep the law of God, which we've all broken, but He even went to the cross to take the punishment that I deserve. And so the shame that I deserve for my relational sins and the the judgment that God wants to pour out against me for the way I have twisted His creation laws... And the anger and wrath of God against my uncleanness was all poured out on Jesus. And so your shame and your humiliation and the ways you've blown it in your life were poured out on Christ so that you could be forgiven. So that you could be pure. So that God can look at you if you put your faith in Jesus and say, this is a perfect child. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Not for some ethereal reason, but for the real nitty-gritty stuff of divorce and marriage and remarriage and adultery and brokenness and all that stuff. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And so now, if we just put our faith in Christ and repent of our sins and turn to Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter how ugly, no matter how, you know, no matter how much your life looks like a, a trashy deep daytime talk show, There's forgiveness in Jesus. There's reconciliation from God. God can restore you and make you new as if you were freshly made. But you have to turn to Christ.
Praise the Lord for our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled before your law this morning. We look at what your plan is for marriage, and then we look at the culture, and then we look in the mirror, and we just see how badly we break that law. And Lord, that, the, the way we've treated marriage is just a, a symptom of a larger problem, which is the way we treat all of your laws and all of your glory. But we thank you, Jesus, that you lived the perfect life and that you died the perfect death so that you could restore us to you through faith in you. So, Jesus, restore us. I pray for every married person here, first and foremost, that you would help them to esteem their spouse. I pray for those couples right now that are going through a rocky spot in their marriage, that they would do whatever it takes to make that marriage work, that you would soften hearts, that you would help us to drop our agendas and our needs and, our, and, and just start thinking about how to serve our spouse and to love our spouse. Lord, help us to speak to our spouses with kindness in our tone of our voice and in the words we use. Help us to serve and love and sacrifice ourselves for one another. And then, Lord, I want to pray for brothers and sisters here who have gone through divorce or maybe are going through it right now, that you would heal their broken hearts. Lord, that you would grant them grace to just repent and say they're sorry to you and and not prolong the bitterness by blaming their spouse for everything and trying to make their ex look like a bad person. Just help them to, to forgive and be forgiven and to find your healing and to know, Lord, that you heal. And, and maybe, Lord, by your grace, you might even see fit to work so that some of these couples who've become divorced might be healed and restored. I believe you can do that, God. And if that's your will, it can be done. And, Lord, for those who've been divorced and remarried and I just pray, God, that they would find your forgiveness too, that all of us would, that they would find freedom to move forward, to follow you wherever we are, whatever our marital status. Help us just to follow you, Jesus, to live for the kingdom of heaven. For those, Lord, who are single, I pray that they would not be obsessed with finding a man or a woman as if some other man or woman is going to complete them, but that they might find their wholeness in you, Jesus. And trust in you to provide whatever it is that you decide they need. And so, Lord, we all together as one church lay our lives before you and ask that you would work in our lives. Would you heal us? We are the broken, but you are the healer. Jesus, you are our redeemer. You are mighty to save us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.